We all have questions. Questions about faith, relationships, beliefs, politics, social issues, our planet, and God. But where do you go when you're done with cliches and starving for the conversation to ascend? What do you do when you're struggling to find connection within your community, within your church? Join us, Lauren, Danielle, and Jason, to connect, discuss relevant topics, and try to navigate living in the tension of everyday life as Jesus followers. This is The Outsiders Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Outsiders Podcast. Me and my co-hosts, Lauren and Jason, are super excited to be here as always, recording what will hopefully be another really good and fun conversation. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I've been having a lot of fun recording this series. I think it's really great that we've been able to tackle a lot of tough conversations so far, but it's also nice to have some more lighthearted and fun conversations as well. So hi to you both. How are you guys doing this week? I am doing well. Hi, Danielle. Um, I'm actually super pumped because it was finally announced after, ye- I was going to say years. That's not true. Over a year. Um, it's felt like years. It, or yeah, it feels like years. It was finally announced that um, within our immediate faith community, the Kettering Adventist Church, we are opening for in-person worship again. And so I'm really excited about that. And um yeah, we're, we're going to launch some new ministries and a new service uh, called Ascent, where really, honestly, it's really just at its core connected to this podcast as far as highlighting and valuing authentic, honest conversation um, around community and, and discuss things, right? Real life issues as we try to figure out what it means to follow Jesus. So yeah, I'm super pumped about reopening church. Can you believe it's been a year? Like, a year since restrictions hit and everything kind of just yeah actually it's just so crazy. um right now the day that we're recording this and and when it's dropped um that w- it will actually be one year when the last time we had in-person service, mm-hmm. um, it was actually March 7. The only reason I remember it was March 7 is I preached that day and I was super excited of what I was preaching about. So it, it will have been an entire year. Yeah. yeah. At work yesterday, somebody said that it was the one-year anniversary of Ohio implementing COVID Restrictions. safety restrictions and yeah. stuff, which to me is just wild that it's been a year. Yeah. Right, because it does seem like it's been like five. Yeah. <laughs> it does. I remember I was working on like drafting all of the press releases Mm. whenever we decided to like cancel in-person classes. And Danielle and I were planning on going to an Alan Stone concert in Columbus. Yeah. Yeah. And we were a little late because I had to work late for it. And Oh, but you, you got it in though. And at that point we were like, do we go? Do we not go? How serious is this? We don't know. And we went and then literally two days later, the world shut down. Right. I'm so glad that we did. And we didn't catch Corona. We did not. But it was kind of like a, this could be our last concert that we go to for a couple months. Right. Times 12. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and there was this lady standing next to Lauren who wanted to be best friends. She like shook her hand, was like wanting to be besties. And I luckily had hand sanitizer in my purse and Lauren was like, I need <laughs> like, so much of that right now. now. Just bathe me in it. I tend to attract and in, attract interesting people at concerts. I, I mean, that's a spiritual gift. I can confirm that statement. So... We, we have a lot of stories about Everybody that. needs somebody, and you are just happen to be there for those, those somebodies. I don't need those people. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, how Anyways. are you, Lauren? You know, um, 
I'm I'm going through some stuff. Yesterday was a really um, hard day for me. Mm. I kind of ended it, well, ended the middle of, of the day, like five. I just had to get, crawl into bed. It was just, there's a lot of heavy stuff going on and I needed some time to process it. And so I'm just really glad to be here and to have mm. a good conversation. So yeah. that's how I am. I'm here. We all have those days. Um, how are you? Yes, you. Oh, I'm, I'm here too. I, you know, <laughs> mid-semester burnout is a real thing and I'm just kind of bleh. But being here, having these conversations does put me in a better mood. Yeah, right? Because we're so, talking about a, a positive topic. Right. So, and in the spirit of that, talking about something more fun and lighthearted, I'm curious, what is something fun or new that you guys have picked up during our year now of mm. extra time at home because of COVID? So last summer I needed to train for my mom's hike and Peloton was having like a three month trial for their app. So I jumped on that and then I just liked the workout so much that I bought a stationary bike and I've now, not a Peloton, because your girl don't got money well, for that. I was thinking like, man, where do you work? <laughs> no, I got a much cheaper bike and yeah. like hooked it up so that it's I like can still- It's like a huffy. I just offended somebody out there, but yes. <laughs> still participate. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so now I'm, I'm one of those people. You're one of those. Yeah. Good to know. Jason, what about you? Yeah, that sounds- uh, no. Okay. So mine, so in a spirit and in a space of authenticity, right? Just being totally vulnerable. Ever since I started studying theology a long time ago, I always was taught by professors and people, you know, professionals around me that your, your priority as a minister is to your, your family, right? Like I always knew that. Headwise, I knew that. I could write it on a quiz. I understood that. But the reality was, I wanted that to be true, but it honestly just wasn't, right? And then it's like, I really want that, but it wasn't, right? My, I, my wife and my children are very important, obviously, but in, I really wanted to be a really good pastor, right? Like really driven to be there for people, have good teachings and good counseling sessions and just, just, be, just be there for people, but during this time, I realized, like, I'm a terrible person where, no, I need to, intrinsically, I actually have this desire. It's not like I want to have, to have that desire to be a better husband and father versus a pastor, but I actually want to be a better father and a better husband than pastor. I still want to be a good pastor, but it's, and I still work like crazy hours, but to me, it was a very clear, like, switch in my head. I would, I need to, and I want to be a better husband and father than pastor. And so that was a big thing for me. So much for lighthearted fun. <laughs> I was going to be like deep cut. That no, but that's just, awesome. That is, that is awesome. I'm just being honest. Yeah. No, that's yeah. good. That's Thank good. you for your honesty. <laughs> yeah, for sure. What about you, Danielle? Um, I feel like I have been trying to do some more creative stuff. That's always been like a huge part of my life and then going into nursing and healthcare, I feel like that part of my identity kind of got stripped away a little bit. So doing more, um, playing more instruments and stuff at home. I've been doing a lot of crafting. I've taken up painting and making earrings. So that's been some fun stuff that I've been doing at home, trying to pass time. And it's been really good to get into a different headspace than just like school yeah. and healthcare all the time. Cause mm -hmm. that's been 
a lot. So yeah, that's yeah, what that's I've good. been doing. Sweet. Nice. So all that aside, now that you've heard us ramble a little bit about our lives, <laughs> if you're new here, you're jumping into part three of our relationship series. So far, we've talked about singleness and understanding the value and beauty that comes along with being single in part one. Part two was all about dating, why it tends to be so hard in Christian communities and how we can just make it a better experience. And today we are going to be talking about marriage. Now, I do think it's important to note that none of us are relationship experts or counselors or anything of the sort. We don't have all the answers about how to have the perfect marriage or anything, but we definitely hope that this uh, can be a good conversation today and that we can unpack some of the stuff we've experienced or been told about marriage and what that means for us as Christ followers. So to start off the conversation, I would love to hear from you guys. What is some common or not so common marriage advice you've heard or received or even given to others regarding how to have like a happy or healthy marriage? Or what's the thing that people have told you that is the most important thing in a marriage? Just any, any thoughts? Yeah. So when I was going through premarital counseling with my wife, we received so much advice like you're talking about. The one thing that really stands out because I realized almost immediately, this is terrible advice. And since then, right, because I've been, you know, I turned 41 pretty soon, right? So I've been around a while. I hear this advice being told all the time. And it's just terrible, terrible advice. And so this is it. And someone out there is like, oh, I've actually shared that advice. Okay, just hear me out. The advice I was told is never go to bed angry. Okay, so what you're really saying is you have this emotionally charged end of the day, you know, deeply heated, you know, conversation slash argument, and it's better to keep on going, you know, when you're super, super emotional, super exhausted, and keep wrangling it out. Like, how does that make sense? I would say, no, hit pause, go to your separate corners for a little bit, get some rest, get some sleep, right? For your, like I said, for your sleep deprived, emotionally starved self, so that you don't end up saying something or doing something that makes the entire thing worse. So if you're upset, it's okay to be upset, okay? It's not a, it's not a sin to be mad, okay? That's fine. But just hit pause, have some space, go to your separate corners, get some rest, and then come back at it. And I think when we do that, we have better perspective. I think I would tend to agree, agree with that. Like I get the spirit of it, like not leaving stuff unresolved for too long and whatever, but man, don't keep me up to fight. Like I know I've <laughs> talked about how much I hate naps, but my nighttime sleep is sacred. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. you better not keep me up to fight because I want to go to sleep. So I, I think I, I agree with that. Space and time. Plus people process differently. Some mm-hmm. people aren't ready to have conversations immediately. So. Right, because a lot of yeah. times, I know this is not the what we're talking about, but a lot of times one partner will come into the conversation after processing it mm-hmm. for days or weeks and mm-hmm. then they just spring it upon the other one and they're supposed to respond and process like immediately mm-hmm. like that's not even fair mm-hmm. so yeah me and my husband <laughs> <laughs> process very differently so as i was tr- i feel like i have a mental block around like marriage advice that has like that I've heard or whatever because of the stage of my life that I'm like very single. Like I don't really want to listen to people's marriage advice because that's, mm. you know, not the stage of life that I'm in. So it's just not relevant. Right. It's not, it's not relevant. So it feels like it goes in one ear and out the other. Um, but to bring in some lighthearted fun, um, I've always seen this meme like on the internet about how marriage is just yelling what 
to the other person from the other room. And I just thought that this is going to be my, my piece to contribute to this part of the conversation. I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> or texting what from the, like, you know. Yeah. Oh, that's exactly what I was going to say. Andrew will actually call me. <laughs> We're in the same house. Oh, I've done that for sure. <laughs> yeah. For sure. So anyway. Um, I feel like I can think of a few. The one, and I know that this is going to sound so cliche and everyone's going to roll their eyes out loud when I say this, but. <laughs> I'm rolling my eyes out loud. <laughs> but I feel like for me, the best advice that I ever got was just to make sure they're your best friend. And I'm not saying everybody has to go force themselves to fall in love with their best friend because that yeah, doesn't work. Tried it. Like <laughs> it, it doesn't, that's not a thing. You can't force your best friend to fall in love with you. But what I mean is make sure that whoever you marry becomes your best friend or has become your best friend by the time you get married. I've always believed in this. And that's actually the one piece of advice that Patrick's dad gave him when he told him he was going to propose. He was just like, I have one question for you. Is she your best friend? And he, and when Patrick could say yes, he was like, all right, you guys can get married. Yeah, no, I totally agree. There's, I think I've even talked about it here before. There are a couple of books I'd like to write. One of them is kind of on this, where I believe that there are certain stages in a growing relationship. And there's a direct correlation, I believe, between stages of a relationship and how authentic you are. And at one point, so in my concept, it's stage four, but at stage four, the person that you're dating, they actually are your best friend, where you are, there are things that you trust them with, you are more vulnerable with them. There are things that you want them to know that you don't want anyone else mm -hmm. on planet Absolutely. Earth to know. Right? Yeah, and you'd actually rather sense. sit in a room and do nothing with that person than whatever you would go do with your homies, mm -hmm. right? So yeah, I totally agree. At a certain stage, that person, they do become your best friend. Yeah, That's beautiful. for sure. I think another good one is just expect each other to change. Be prepared for the fact that you will mm -hmm. not stay the person that you were when you get married and the same applies for your spouse. Um, and that's just something you have to, ha you have to manage that expectation and understand that that is a thing. Yeah, hundred um, percent. Which is another thing, right? And we we can talk about this later. But I think a lot of times we think on your wedding day you say I do, and then it's just like freeze. No, right? Going back to the authenticity thing. I think we assume that on our wedding day, when you say I do, and when, when you have sex, uh, it's like, oh, we're 100% us. No, you're not. You're, in my opinion, you're about 80%, maybe 90, right? But you still are, you're just not fully you yet. And I think that takes a little bit more time to let down the walls and, and let that person see more of who you are. Um, and that can take some time. I do think it's interesting that um, approximately 20% of divorces take place. I know we're not talking about divorce right now, but I'm just saying about 20% of divorces in America take place within about five years. Yeah, I think that's because it's during those five years mm -hmm. you're actually showing more of who you are. And something I hear a lot is, you know, someone who's thinking about divorce, they'll say, well, the, the person I'm married to, they're not the same as they were the day I married them. Mm -hmm. You're right, but you should have known that, right? Mm -hmm. You grow together, right? You change. So yeah, yeah. I, I totally agree. It's a process. Yeah. I think maybe one last good one that that I think is a good piece of advice is having tough and uncomfortable conversations before you get married. Yes. Um, because I think especially in some Christian communities where people feel pressured or get or rush into marriage at a really young age, that's a step that some people miss and then maybe can contribute to more challenging marriages later on. So yeah, I think that's another good one. It's well, and for me as a pastor, I have so much fun doing premarital counseling uh, when we get to talk about all those things. And what's fun for me as like, you know, the third person is I get to bring it up 
And then they just- And watch. And then watch. (laughs) And, you know, kind of guide the conversation a little bit. Like, okay, relax. But specifically talking about like family culture or just family dynamics and the history of family and and your expectations and vision for the future of family Uh, and like fun. What is fun? Mm -hmm. And, And finances and sex and all of these expectations- yeah, man, let's let's process that stuff now. So, yeah, it's fun. So, as you were saying, uh, one of the things that we're doing in each of these episodes in our relationship series is honestly trying to deconstruct some of the things we hear about these topics that aren't necessarily accurate, or maybe they're even lies. So, guys, what are some um, what are some things that you've heard specifically from you know maybe your church or your faith based community or family or friends when it comes to marriage that kind of raise some red flags. I think for me, one of the lies is like how instantly happy people will be once they get married. Yeah, it's like a switch. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Not that they weren't happy before, but like marriage just makes you a happier person. Um, And I just, I don't think that we talk about how, we don't talk enough about how life-changing marriage is, um, especially in a Christian context. You go from being single to being engaged to being married probably in a shorter period of time than like most relationships. And um, Danielle, you had mentioned in our singleness episode about grieving your singleness once you got into a relationship. And I think that this happens too in marriage and it's not a bad thing, but it just happens. You're grieving, you know, the loss of all the... the freedom and all that mm-hmm. sort of stuff and, and moving into this new life stage. Um, and sometimes there are not happy parts of that. Um, I also think this brings up the lie that you just automatically know what to do in a marriage and like how easy it is. And I think there are, obviously this is my perspective coming from a single person, but like there are parts of marriage for certain couples that there is ease there, but that everyone just kind of already has it figured out and doesn't need any advice or whatever. Um, and I would say another one is like that you have to do everything together and have the same likes and hobbies Mm, and you know, you just, you do everything together. Um, and then my last one is that marriage counseling is a bad thing or it Mm. only comes, you know, whenever there's like a really, huge point of tension. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I can think of a couple. One, and it's actually funny, it kind of came up um, after we recorded one of our previous episodes. We were just talking afterwards and Lauren mentioned that she saw this Valentine's Day challenge that was going around on Facebook where you just kind of answer questions about your relationship, like when it started, first yeah. date, whatever, how long you've been together, all that stuff. And one of the questions was, who wears the pants in the relationship? And there was a mix of answers, but a lot of the women said that the men do. And my thought is like, I mean, we should all wear pants. Like, <laughs> pants That's are kind a little of, awkward. Pants are kind of necessary. <laughs> yeah. Why Why did only one person get to wear the pants? And our audio engineer, Alan, was here while we were having this conversation, and he made a really good point about why we have to make marriage roles adversarial, you mm-hmm. know, and identify who wears the pants because isn't this supposed to be a partnership? And for me, I think that one of the things that's maybe not a lie, but something that is sometimes manipulated and maybe even abused a little bit is the way that some people perceive gender roles within marriages mm-hmm. um, and just relationships in general. And honestly, I think that now compared to even our grandparents' generation or maybe even for some of us, our parents' generation, there has been a huge shift 
in spe- especially in the role that women play in the family and in marriage. Now, I mean, I don't think I've really personally received pressure to be a homemaker and to bear my husband a whole bunch of kids. And <laughs> I've never been told that I shouldn't get an education or anything like that. And I just want to emphasize there's absolutely nothing wrong with being able to be a stay-at-home mom or stay-at-home dad for that matter and dedicate that season of your life to your kids. I think that's a beautiful thing. And for some people that is ideal and awesome. And for some people it's not. Mm -hmm. And I think that in our generation, there isn't as much pressure for women to be, you know, homemakers. But I have witnessed a lot of conversations and a lot of relationships where I think people still have this idea that women and men have specific limiting roles that they have to fill. Um, And I think that that is something that we can definitely talk about and deconstruct a little bit and you know, kind of segues into us talking a little bit about what the Bible has to say. Yeah, I definitely second this point, And I've definitely heard some perspectives on what my role as a woman should be in marriage, like not being the breadwinner and, you mm. know, staying home and all that sort of stuff. And I think it's really heavily influenced by the patriarchal system that we have, you know, lived in for, for as long as we have. And it really is hard to change something that's so ingrained in, in our minds. Um, even if we may not completely have that perspective, right? right? There are still things that subconsciously are, have just been planted there. I, I remember when I told my grandma, and, and she died several years ago. She's a great lady. But I remember when I told her that I was going to propose to Andrea. Um, the first thing she said, and I didn't even understand what she meant, but she, the first question she said was, can she keep a good home? Mm. And now, for the record, my grandma was 100 years old when she died, right? So she... You know, Literally she 100? Literally 100, Thanks. yeah. Um, this is what's... Okay, so on this point, this is what's so sad about it. So she had two wishes in life to live to be 100 and to see the Cubs win the world series. And she lived to be 100, but she died January of 2016. If you know anything about the Cubs, they actually won the world series in November of 2016. So she lived a hundred years and never saw the Cubs win the world series. Like, like a few months short. Yeah, like, yeah, like, well, 10 months short, but yeah. Um, In the span of 100 years, 10 months. Okay, so for all the sports fans, okay, so this is why when the Cubs won, everyone was so deeply emotional because it was connected to whatever. But my point is, in her head, Mm -hmm. didn't have a question about her spirituality or, you know, really none of that was, could she keep a good home? Like, I wasn't really sure what to do with that, but yes. That's interesting. Um, I, I think another lie, this kind of, came to mind is um, if you save yourself for marriage, aka don't have premarital sex, you will be rewarded with amazing sex. And I know that we talked about this in our um, sex and purity culture episode, but I just think it's worth bringing back to the conversation as well. Yeah, for sure. So what does the Bible have to say? What should marriage look like? And what is the purpose of marriage? Yeah, I think that there's definitely a lot to unpack here. I mean, ultimately, marriage was created by God, and it's a good thing. Um, However, in our singleness episode, we did touch on the fact that it's not for everyone. And, you know, there are some things that the Bible says cautioning people about marriage. And it's interesting, um, Jason, in one of our earlier episodes, I want to say it was our, our last episode before the holidays, just kind of recapping the year and everything. Um, My sister and I were talking about that episode and she brought up something that that you had said about how during creation, 
women were necessary because man alone couldn't represent the image of God. And I remember her saying that in all her life, you know, 20 some years, that she'd never heard anyone say that. Women were always just kind of the byproduct, the afterthought, the piece of man, and thus secondary. Mm. But the idea that women are necessary in representing God is probably something that a lot of people haven't heard or been affirmed of. Um, And the reason I bring that up during this episode is because for me, I think that when we talk about marriage, especially within the context of Christianity, it's important for us to talk about the purpose and, and value that both men and women bring to the equation. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's it's when there are both that we can fully reflect. And I do think it's interesting, even going back to, to Genesis, the climax of creation in Genesis, we see God uniting two people and, and to be committed, monogamous, a relationship of, of knowledge, uh, and we call that marriage. And so I do think it's interesting. The Bible begins with a wedding with Adam and Eve. But if you skip to the end, another, right, in the book of Revelation, it ends with a wedding with Jesus and his people. Um, And so it's like marriage kind of bookends the scriptures. It's really God's, the whole thing is God's idea. And I know we've talked about it before, but, you know, just to kind of bring it back, in Genesis when it says, man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one. This really is a great mystery, but it's also illustrates the way that Jesus and the church are one, right? We need to be together. It's all about, right? It's not like, you know, so many times we think, oh, well, I, this person is going to complete me, right? So, but it's not like two needy, like unsure people, like individuals who find value or significance only because they are with someone else. No, they're both individually valuable. They both individually have their own stories and significance. It's just together they serve each other so much that they become one. So yes, I think it's this concept for marriage and and human life, but it also describes God's desire to be with with us, if if that makes sense. Um, Right. And I know you've always, you always say your whole, like, it's not half and half equals one. It's one plus one equals one. It's not one and a half plus half equals one. Like one is not greater or more important than the other. Um, And I think that that is is something that maybe isn't talked about enough. Equal, man. Equal. That's the thing. I I could do a whole Bible study on how, on equality, but yeah, for sure. And this is where I think in our singleness episode, I mentioned, you know, that's one of the beautiful things uh, um, among several of, when you're single is that you can really do the hard work of, of you know, that self-worth of really being the one that the one you'd like to be with would actually want to be with. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so you're, it, it's exactly what you were saying. I, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, um, I think that one of the passages that we definitely have to talk about that I've heard far too many times Let's go. from men... <laughs> Well, this is the irony. I feel okay, you like go. I need to take a breath because people that I was not even, I've only been married to one. I wish all one. of our listeners could see your face right now. Dude, this girl is about to spit because, nails. Because <laughs> I have and currently only been married to one man. Yep. And many men that That's I have never been married to have quoted Ephesians to me, telling me to submit because the Bible says so. <laughs> End of end of oh, comment. We should do a whole series on because the Bible said so. But I think that that is something that we should talk about. Yeah. Let's okay. unpack it. So let's unpack this briefly. Um, yes. So the passage you're talking about that 
is the hot topic. It's from Ephesians. This is a guy named Paul. He's writing to this church in Ephesus. And this is what it actually says. And this is the thing that kind of drives me insane sometimes. And I just need to, you know, breathe and, and be like, okay, let's not assume that we know what the Bible says. Let's actually read what it actually says. So in Ephesians 5, verse 21, follow along. It says, submit to one another. Bam, there it is. Out of reverence for Christ. But did you catch it? It says, submit one another. Both are called to serve the other, right? It, like we like to, so Paul sets it up with his statement. A relationship, marriage is about serving the other. Then he goes on and he processes and applies it. Um, so he, but it's interesting that Paul's super practical. He sets up this reality that it's only through serving each other through the power, power of the Holy Spirit when we will have the power to face the challenges of marriage. Because as we've said, marriage, beautiful, wonderful, love it. it there are challenges. And Paul's like, listen, the only way to get through these challenges is to serve each other. Um, so, and honestly, I think that's what it means to live the gospel is only by serving others, putting others' needs ahead of yours. But then this is where it gets all like, you know, heated. Verse 22, here it comes. So he's applying it after he tells, okay, serve each other. Then he says, for wives, right? So now he's like, you know, focusing his, his direction. This means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Bam, there it is, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but he keeps going. Oh, 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 sorry. Okay, and he keeps going. For the husband is the head of his ha uh, for the head of his wife. For, wow, I cannot read. Good. For the husband is the head of his wife. And then there we go. And now here come all the chants and the whatever. Except we don't continue it. It he continues as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. Okay, so let's just think about this real quick. So if the husband is to serve his his wife and the wife is to serve his husband and then paul says the husbands or wives you are you need to you know um serve your husbands because he is the head just like christ is the head but notice all of this is in the context of service right so so many times we say well christ is the head of the church yes but that is a totally different context where he is the authority and he is the focus and wait he is the only reason we do what we do is because of him. That is not the context of Paul. Paul's whole context is of service. And right. And, and so anyway, so to complete, so how did Jesus, right? Like really serve the church like that? Well, he completely sacrificed himself in service for the benefit of the church. So it's really taking initiative to put your wife's needs ahead of yours, because that's what Jesus did. Um, right, so being the head means just simply means taking initiative in the serving. And a, and a quick example would be something that, you know, lots of people know is at the Last Supper, there are all the disciples. Jesus, in a matter of hours, is going to hang on the cross and die. Somebody needs to wash the feet because that's what they would have done. No one does it. So Jesus takes initiative in the serving. He is the head has nothing to do with authority or any sort of weirdness like that. It just means the one to take initiative in servitude. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Which I think is a really key part of interpreting that is that they are taking initiative in servitude and saying that they are the ones that should be yes. serving at a level like even greater, mm -hmm. you know, right. than That's the, the way that the woman should be serving them. Like they should be setting that example and going above and beyond 
right. in their service. So that's what's so ironic is when guys like to say, oh, but the, the husbands are the head. Okay, you just saying that means you don't get it. That just means you take initiative in service, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then, But then, you know, Paul also goes on in verse 25. He says, for husbands, this means love your wives. Good, just as Christ loved the church. He, and then he continues, he gave up his life for her to make her holy. Like that's actually what he's saying. So Paul breaks it down. So you are to serve because you are committed. You are to, to live life in a way that benefits her, not you, right? Her needs before your needs. So, right. So right now there's some guys out there like, I don't get it. Okay. As we've already established in the past, um, men, brothers, Let's be honest, right? You're good people, but we've already established in a couple episodes ago, in the context of relationships, unless you have to, you probably won't. So what does this actually mean? And, you know, to quickly break it down, we've all had teachers, right, Um, in school who teach content the way they know how. But if you do that, that's valuing the content. But we've also experienced better teachers who teach students the way that the student learns, which values the student. And we've all had teachers where it's like, yeah, no, that was a much better teacher because they knew how I learned mm-hmm. and they were able to teach me in the way that I learned. So brothers, men, it, it's one thing to say that we need to you know, serve, but what does this actually mean? Take initiative in some of these things. So uh, two quick things I would say about this are the five love languages. If you've never read it, you have no idea what I'm talking about. He stop, he's pause this podcast, go look up uh, the five love languages. They are amazing. And it, basically how it breaks down is it, it shows us to love in a way that the person you love actually feels and experiences love, not the way you just choose to love, right? There's a huge difference. And if you're absolutely clueless, you're like, I don't know how she experiences love. Um, Then just think about how does she show love, right? Because chances are the love language of the person you're with, naturally, they will just show love the way that they best receive love. But you know what? I've experienced that to be not true. I think a lot of people, the way their love language, as far as how they receive love is can often be different from the way they show love. I know that's how I am for sure. Hmm. There's definitely a discrepancy there. And I think that there can also be some discrepancy in like how you give or show love to your spouse versus like your friends or other people, sure. yeah, you know, yeah. that, that are in your life. And I, th- I think it's not only just like figuring out by watching, but if you're, husband or wife has done the work to understand like what their love language is, ask them, Yeah, have right. the conversation, yeah. bring it up. No, hundred percent. But so. I do, I do like that you brought that up and just figuring out like when we talk about service being the spirit of this passage in scripture, like love is part of service. Like Absolutely. That, is, mm-hmm. that is part of being able to serve your spouse in a biblical context. And I think that understanding that how to, how to best do that is, is a really key point. Yeah, so of we serve, marriage. we serve them more. We, we, we take initiative in the service by loving them in the way that they feel. And, and I guess, you know, for, for me, it, because I'm slow, I, it took me a while to, to learn this. My wife leaves me to-do lists, which are like, honestly, I hate them. And she knows that. I'm sure she's listening. I love you, babe. But you know, I hate your to-do <laughs> list. But for her, her love language is acts of service. Mm. Um, that is definitely not my love language. So anyway, so just figuring out how they receive love and then taking the initiative to do that, I think is really important. So for those who may not know what, what the love languages are, 
Can we dive into that for a quick sure. second? Okay. So the five are words of affirmation. Those are really nice shoes, Danielle. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Which, which I already alluded that. I don't know. <laughs> I like shoes. But yeah, words of affirmation, um, physical touch, like not in a creepy way, right? But physical touch. <laughs> we all know someone that they just, they're huggers, right? They just are. Or they, you know, they're always hitting you on the shoulder or whatever. Cool. Physical touch, um, gifts, acts of service, as I just said, and quality time. So... Yeah, it, it, mine is definitely not acts of service, but it's Andrea's. So you just figure it out and take initiative in, in doing that. Along those lines also, which I think would be another whole podcast series, and I'm sure there actually, I know there are millions of them out there, so we don't really need to add to that. But the whole notion of the Enneagram is fantastic. Everybody should go study the Enneagram. And I, but for me, like it really does help me to understand um, – like how to manage stress, like the things that I do when I'm stressed, like it makes sense in the context of the Enneagram. And then how, so, so with your spouse or the person that you're with, what is their Enneagram? When they are stressed, they tend to act like what? And then as the husband, you can take initiative and in understanding that so you can serve better. Yeah. And I think just, you know, kind of going back to the root of this conversation, talking about the spirit of service, talking about that passage in Ephesians, I think that, I mean, I should say, I know I was like super heated when I first started that. I actually wasn't that heated. It's just something that, <laughs> anyways, like when people have said that verse to, to me or I've heard them say it to other friends, I know it's always from a place of joking and being like, oh, you're just supposed to spit because you're the woman. Like, I know that people don't really take it seriously, but I think that in itself is something that needs to be addressed because yeah. I think that especially in the context of Christianity, and, and like I said earlier, I don't know if there's as much of an issue now as there was even just a couple generations ago, but I think women have struggled to feel valued um, or respected and not just in relationships, but just in general. And so I think just understanding there are passages in the, in the Bible that sometimes people kind of weaponize a little bit or interpret in a way that's not super helpful for people. And I think, you know, just reading through this, I think it's pretty straightforward. The it's passage pretty, actually, yeah. like I don't think mm-hmm. that it takes a ton of deep interpretation to understand what it's actually trying to say, but just understanding, even if you're coming at it from a place of just kind of like joking or being dumb or whatever, like that can be harmful towards people. And I think going back to what I said before of, of someone hearing for the first time, you know, women were necessary in representing God and, and in creation and stuff. I think that unpacking this and, and just reaffirming women of that, I think is really important. Well, not, not only that, but I think whenever there are, there's joking around a person's like place and their identity. Like their value. Yeah. There are going to be wounds. And if we don't keep that in the back of our mind, as we have these sorts of conversations, I think we are doing a disservice to that person. We're not showing up for them. We're not loving them in, in the way that, that we should. And, you know, it's, it's easy to cherry pick and weaponize certain verses in the Bible to um, put down people for, you know, elevation for power. Really, that's what it is. There's so many beautiful stories, especially for women, of how Jesus and God used them mm-hmm. in in the in his in Jesus' lineage mm-hmm. for like these really important stories that women can hold on to that. It's not just like our identity, but also like it was necessary for, for you sure. know, Mary and to be at the tomb whenever, 
you know, Jesus re- revealed himself to mm-hmm. them first. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes we, we forget that. And so I, I just love the idea of, you know, when you come together in marriage, yes, it's one in one, but the whole purpose of marriage is to serve one another. Yeah. And I mean, to speak for on the side of, of men as well, I love how this verse really empowers men mm-hmm. to take that headship and that leadership and be that example and love their wives as as fiercely as God loves the church. Like, I think that that's a super encouraging and beautiful thing. And I hope that that is empowering to men. Obviously, I am not one, but mm-hmm. I hope that that's something that people can be like, you know, I've been given this opportunity to really have this impactful role in my relationship and my community and and taking that seriously and and, you know, understanding that that is a really cool thing if it's approached from that way. Yeah. No, there, there are so many times, and this is the thing that's interesting because oftentimes, and this is not the purpose of this podcast, but people will read the Bible like, oh, this is so barbaric with, you know, but what we have to understand is for several of these stories, I mean, it's thousands of years old, totally different culture. And the reality is even in ancient Israel, but, and, you know, during Jesus' time, Jesus was so progressive for women's mm-hmm. rights, for human rights, uh, for uh, for injustice, uh, children's rights. Like he was super progressive, and actually, throughout ancient Israel, they were also super progressive compared to all of the other uh, nations. And so, you're right. Uh, just the role of women in Scripture is is actually really really amazing. So, okay, good. So with all this being said, how do we as Jesus followers, and honestly, just human beings in general, strive for and maintain healthy marriages? And also, like, how do we support and show up for those that are in these relationship stages? I think that's something, and I know, you know, Lauren mentioned earlier how when you go through these different relationship changes and go from one stage to another, there is like this kind of loss or transitioning process where you're going from one stage to another. And I think that helping to create community for married people is something that can get overlooked sometimes. And I know that sounds kind of counterintuitive because you're like, they just married someone. They have built-in community right there. But just like we talked about single people having to adjust when their friends get married, married people have to adjust when they get married too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And as they continue to move through life, whether that includes having kids or whatever else, you know, In the singleness episode, we talked about how God can't fulfill all of our relational needs. And I think it's important to remember that someone's spouse can't fulfill every single one of their relationship needs either. Like the majority of me and Patrick's friends are actually single. Um, And after getting married, you want friends who are couples, not because your single friends aren't important or valuable anymore. Like you're not trying to replace them, but you also want them too, because you want to have some people around you that are in the same stage of life as you who can help you navigate it and making those new friends can feel like starting over. You know, like we all know how awkward it is to to make friends, mm-hmm. especially as adults and having to learn how to do that and be like, all right, let's go like find some married people. <laughs> well, it, like it's, it's hard. It's, it's really hard. It's so hard because a lot of times it's hard to find like couple friends, right? So because hard. one spouse will really be into the other yeah. spouse. Yes. You know what I mean? But then their spouse... Okay, I, I just confused myself. Okay, there so needs like, to be some compatibility right. there. Yeah, right? Yeah. Like, just right, like because the, the husbands get along the husbands or the wives get along, get along. Yeah. they don't doesn't mean that the husbands and the wives will both get along. Like, it's just, <laughs> yeah. it's hard. 
And I think there's a whole other element to it when, you know, you start to have kids and have young families. Because I have friends who are my age or even younger who don't really know where they fit because there's this weird gap where you're still a young adult and you want connection, but suddenly there's this huge thing that separates you because you have kids. So I think that um, being mindful of, of the fact that just because they've got a spouse now doesn't mean that they're not lonely at times or not still seeking areas of connection, you know? Mm-hmm. I think another thing too, on the topic of like the church context, setting boundaries for married couples is huge in church. You know, you see a lot of couples who do ministry together, which can be a very beautiful thing. And I know a lot of couples love doing that, Um, but it can also be exhausting and hard and unhealthy or even awkward at times if there's pressure when one person wants to be really involved and the other person doesn't. So just being mindful of the fact, you know, like what Lauren was saying earlier, Couples don't have to do everything together. Some mm-hmm. want to, and that's not a bad thing, but some don't want to. And so just being realistic about those um, those boundaries. And I think one last thing, sorry, I'm talking a lot. Um, just acknowledging that marriage is hard. Uh, and in our dating episode, we talked about the pressure in dating to find the perfect person and then marry them. And I think a lot of that pressure remains even after marriage, and that can be really tough. And, you know, next week we're going to be talking about divorce. And I think there's so much stigma around that in Christianity. And it can be really hard for married couples to go through rough patches, especially sometimes in a Christian community. So just leaving space for growth and the growing pains and roadblocks and finding ways to support couples, um, whether things are going good or bad. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think one of the things I've learned in just talking to my married friends is to not be afraid to ask them how their marriage is going and not in like in depth or a gossipy way, but it's the same as like you would ask your friends who are in a dating relationship, like, how are things going? Like that doesn't need to end just because your friend got married. And, um, I, I just, I think it's a way for, for showing up. And so when you ask that question, right, you just like sit and listen. Because as a single person, I don't have any advice to give my married friends. Like I, I'm, I've never been in that position before, um, but I think it's a really easy way to, to show up and support. And you may be the first person that asked them that question or and and the information that is then given to you may knock you off your feet because mm-hmm. you're you know you just may not be aware of of what's going on but i i just think that's a really easy way to show up um and danielle you alluded to this a little bit but i think as a also as a single person it is really easier to hang out with other single people that you know are in the same life stage like i think we all can acknowledge like it's just easier hanging out in pockets like that um, because you want to be around people that again, are, are in your same life stage. Um, But I have to remember to include my married friends Mm. when I'm hanging out. Like if there's a group of us that are doing something and not just assume that they already have plans or they're going to hang out with their spouse, like, and taking the time to get to know their spouse because that's important too. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that there's there's a lot of assumptions that go on that, you know, married married people, again, this is me coming as a single person, that, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, they have their own life and they're going to go grocery shopping together and do all this stuff, but there still is the relational part of them as a couple, as well as separately, um, that 
us single people or really non-married people can, can do to be inclusive um, and show up for them. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think like with most things, life is better in circles. It just is. When you're around people, we were created for that. And, and I think that's good. It's something else you alluded to when you say, just ask the married person how they're doing, because that almost is giving them permission so, oh, I don't have to be perfect. Mm. It doesn't have to be perfect, right? It's almost like, oh, so it's okay if it's not smooth sailing and rainbows and unicorns, right? So, yeah, I think I think that's good. It, it opens up for more honesty, which I think our world could use some more authenticity. Um, yeah, and I guess I would just say, as we've been saying, when the Bible says that the two will become one, I think it's important to understand the grammar a little bit. And even in English, it's there. Will become it doesn't happen the moment you say I do and have sex. It just doesn't. It's a process, uh, a dance really through life stages. And I think it's beautiful, but if you've ever learned to dance, you know, in the process, like learning to dance, it is a process, but you would also know that in each stage of that process, it's both awkward and awesome at the same time. Um, that's like marriage. And it's also like dancing. Um, and so, like when we're dancing, it's good to talk about what you're doing with close confidants. And again, close confidants for perspective and support and guidance. But it's also good to be flexible and fluent and respond to the other, not react. And there is a difference to the, between responding and reacting. And then finally, I would just say, and move, right? Dan moving, dancing is intrinsically better when you're moving. Marriage is intrinsically better when you're moving. So move toward being a better human being and Jesus follower by serving and helping the other one be a better human and Jesus follower. Um, a couple of just quick, interesting quotes I, I found. Uh, one is by Andre Mouwa. Uh, he said, a happy marriage is a long conversation, which always seems too short. It's like, mm, that's good. Um, another one was a successful marriage means falling in love many times, always with the same person. Oscar Wilde said, you don't love someone for their looks or their clothes or for their fancy car, but because they sing a song only you can hear. Elizabeth Gilbert said, to be fully seen by somebody then and be loved anyhow, this is a human offering that can border on miraculous. Yeah, so true. So after everything we've said today, I think, you know, marriage is a wonderful and beautiful thing, but sometimes the amount of advice and opinions and teachings out there can definitely be overwhelming. And I think that's something we're learning in this relationship series and really all of our conversations is that there isn't a one-size-fits-all approach to any of these topics. You know, we can't tell you what your marriage should look like or how to have the perfect marriage, but we can tell you that it's awesome and beautiful when it's approached and lived out from a place of love and respect. It's a continuous journey full of change and growth and roadblocks and hardships, but also joys and triumphs and happiness and fun and love. And we hope that this conversation has given some insight and created a space to talk about some of the ins and outs and complexities of marriage. And we'll see you next week for our final episode of this relationship series on The Outsiders Podcast. Special thanks to our audio engineer, Alan Clark. Music throughout this episode is by Common Man Music. A special thank you to Bruno Mars. If you like what you've been hearing, tell your friends. And if you'd like to connect with any of us, follow us on Instagram at We're the Outsiders Podcast. See you next week.